here I am. Just uh, just to clarify, we have moved and uh, hadn't gotten Ken's okay yet, but I guess I'll have to talk to him now. <laughs> we have moved the uh, we have moved our facilities. We no longer meet here. No, um, we. <laughs> yeah, my parents used to move on me. Uh, I'd find them every time, you know, but they'd always move. Anyways, uh, we, we moved our men's Bible study. It was hard for people to get up on Saturday mornings to come out here, so we, we decided to make it even more difficult. It'll be on Monday mornings at 8 o'clock. And some of you are thinking, what? Monday mornings? Uh, and it's going to be at uh, at the shop. I guess we're going to call it Shop Talk. I don't know. We're going to call it uh, Shop Talk is good. All right, we'll call it Shop Talk. And uh, we're going to have a Bible study. We're going through the book of John at uh, James's place at 8 o'clock every Monday, starting in January. Uh, and we will uh, get some information out there. It, it's in Rialto. Is it Rialto or Bloomington? Okay. I just thought it was the address was in Bloomington. But anyways, it's in Rialto, uh, right off of Lilac and A Street. And there's a set of shops there, right? First, I'm sorry. I knew it was one of the first ones, Alphabet or A Street. Numerical. Uh, Lilac and First in... But again, we're going to get flyers out. We're going to get some information starting January the 3rd, 2022. Wow. Yes. Who would have thought it? Excited, huh? Jazzed about it. I uh, got some, some of the guys, hopefully, that are going to be there uh, from that shop area. A uh, bunch of nice guys, you know. It's, it's really cool. We've been talking about this for some time. Yes. And we figured, okay, well, let's start the new year off right. So we'll change the the wording on the men's Bible study, and uh, and that's <clears throat> that's just now, okay. And also just in the works, and we've been praying about this. The Book of Revelation, the Book of Revelation, we're going to start doing on Sunday evenings, and I'm I was hoping to get started right away in um, in January, and uh, probably won't be till the second or third week of January. But we're going to do the uh, Book of Revelation, and I think it's a good time to start going through the Book of Revelation. Don't you guys think? Yeah. And just so you guys know. Um, I've talked to certain pastors that are afraid of the book of Revelation. You know, just, just don't want to teach it. Too much symbolism, too much craziness. It's hard to understand and, and not necessarily true. I mean, if you, I, I've, I've gone through the book of Revelation at least three times already as a pastor at the church. Once in a Bible study and twice, uh, once at a, another church that we were leading in Hesperia and then once here as well, uh, during church services. So it's this will be my fourth time going through the book of Revelation. And uh, not saying that I know everything about it, because th- there is there is a lot to know about the book of Revelation. And we're going to try, of course, to, to uh, you know, apply it to our current time and events. And so there's a lot of that. You're not going to see a bunch of charts. You're not going to see a bunch of, you know, we're just going to go straight through the Word. And we're going to go through it. As a matter of fact, the first few weeks is going to be kind of like, come on, man, get to the get to the good stuff. Well, before we can get to the good stuff, we got to go through the seven churches. And uh, the seven churches are, you know, it's a picture of our modern day churches today. But if you want to open up to Revelation chapter 1, I want to give you a very good verse to meditate on and uh, really start to look at. But in Revelation chapter 1, before he even starts addressing the churches and, and talking to them as to what he really likes and what he is very uh, proud of what they're doing, but he also... Uh, yeah, he also uh, disciplines them. He says, "Repent! You know, you you've lost your first love. You you're going after these other gods. You're going after this other woman that is that is uh, teaching you astray. You're going after and and he's just. But there's two churches that he's very very pleased with, and and he talks highly of them. But in Revelation chapter one verse three, it says this: 
Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. You want to be blessed? Read the word, this word. You want, you want to be blessed? Listen to the word, hear the word. You want to be blessed? Keep what is written in this word. So John off the top says, you're going to be blessed by reading this. So I, I don't know why God would write 65 books in the whole Bible, and then the last book, just throw it in there to confuse everybody. Well, it's too confusing. It's hard to understand. God doesn't do that. I mean, He didn't do it that way. It's difficult because I believe the enemy doesn't want us to get into it, first of all. People have made all kinds of different assumptions behind it. And they take the symbolism thing and this allegorical thing way too far. It says what it says. Now, of course, there's a lot of symbolism in it. Of course, there are a lot of things that we don't understand. And just right off the top, just, just to let you know, uh, when you're talking about the animals, you know, the bear, the lion, the, the, the eagle, when you think about those animals and what they meant back then, well, they knew what he was talking about. It's kind of like today. If I were to, if I were to ask you, says, you know, if I were to say rams, bears, dolphins, eagles, what would you think? Okay, football, right? And if I were to say, you know, in a political sense, donkeys and elephants, what's that? Yeah, okay. I mean, it's, it's politics. And so it meant something to the original hearers, and it's important for us to find out, okay, what did it mean to them? And so we're going to go through that. This is what it meant to them. So this is how it, it played out. And the problem is that many people have added their own theories and their own, a lot of inferences and a lot of, well, this means that and that means this. It says what it says. And it's once you understand the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, you understand the symbolism, which a lot of it is in the Bible. I mean, he'll tell you that seven stars fell from the sky, and then he'll say these seven stars are the seven pastors of the seven churches. So they're not actual stars, you know, that fall out of the sky, because the smallest star is, is uh, well, it's, it's like the, the size of our sun, which is like 50 times bigger or maybe 100 times bigger than the earth. So one of those stars would just get close to earth, we'd be annihilated. So there, there's a lot of symbolism in it, and we can see from the book as to what they mean. So I, I pray that, um, and again, uh, we'll come up with a date here pretty soon. It'll be in the evening, Sunday nights, and uh, we'll have a good time of fellowship. Amen? So for now, let me ask you to open up to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we talked a little bit about the... Those that came to know who Jesus Christ was, we saw that, that in, the time, in the time that Jesus Christ was born, there were those that came to visit and to worship, and uh, we said that the Christmas spirit, we, talk, we heard a lot about the Christmas spirit. We hear a lot about how the Christmas spirit has, has just uh, infiltrated the whole spirit or the whole meaning of Christmas. Christmas just seems to have been commercialized. And so now Christmas spirit is, well, what you drink, what you eat, what, uh, what you buy, what you, what kind of deals you can get. It's just been commercialized to the point of no return. But the original Christmas at the time of Jesus's birth, it was, it was known that Mary herself, the, uh, when she went to go visit Elizabeth, the baby within Elizabeth's womb at, at six months jumped and leaped for joy. Now, I don't know how that happens. I guess there's enough room in there for the baby to do that. You know, it just leaps for joy. And, and it gives us a very good picture of life before 
life at conception, where everybody's arguing and the Bible doesn't talk about life at conception. Well, here's a very good picture that the spirit, the Christmas spirit entered uh, John the Baptist is who it was, Elizabeth's baby, and leaped for joy when she saw it. And when he heard Mary's voice, this, that's my savior inside that womb. And, and they were cousins and they were connected together. Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, the Bible says was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied about this child that uh, was going to be born, the, the child he was going to have, and how he was going to lead the people uh, to this child, uh, the, the servant David. Um, and also suddenly the angels came and they glorified and they worshipped. And, and we also see that, um, that in, in uh, Simeon, when they came to dedicate the child, Jesus, he was filled with joy. He didn't know anything about Joseph. He didn't know anything about Mary. But he recognized, God told him and showed him and says, you will not depart this planet until you see the consolation of Israel. You'll see it. And, and not only was he able to see it, but he was able to hold this child in his hand. And he praised God and he worshiped God and he worshiped who Jesus Christ was going to be, the King, the Messiah. And then, of course, we know that the wise men came from the east specifically for this purpose, to worship the King. They told uh, well, they asked all around Jerusalem. They all they asked, where is this king that was born? And people would look at them, well, what? There is no other king. Yeah, he, he was born. The star showed us that he was born here somewhere in the, in the west. And we come from the east. And he was born in Israel. And, and we've come to worship this king of the Jews. They thought, the only king we have is Herod, man. You don't want to worship him. And so people were dumbfounded. And Herod heard about this news of this king being born. And he says, hey, hey, wait a minute. And I'll share a little bit more about that. But their heart was bent on worship. We ended Christmas in that vein, in that theme of worship. It should be our lifestyle. It should be what we do. And I want to continue on in that theme for 2022 as far as the true story of Christmas and what it meant and how it was, how we're supposed to, like I said last week, it needs to be internal, like my soul magnifies, my insides magnify, the inside of all that I am magnifies the Lord, as Mary said, it needs to be intense. My spirit rejoices. Not only does my soul magnify, but my spirit, it's intense inside. Uh, my worship needs to be intentional. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, as Mary had said. And she focused and, and it was intentional upon God, her, uh, the, God himself. And then she says that later on, that, and that for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, as Mary had said. And worship was directed in a very humble attitude. It's internal, it's intense, it's intentional, and it's humble. And it's intimate, as we talked about last week. And so with that in mind, in chapter 2 of Matthew, let's, uh, I'm going to read this. It, it's an interesting story. And it's, it's a little bit lengthy, and, and it's, it's okay, but I want to I go through it and then come back and kind of take it apart a little bit for our uh, discussion today. But on the top of my Bible, in, above chapter 2, it says, The Visit of the Wise Men. And it starts off like this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, 
Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said to them, to, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Her Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod went, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Father in heaven, thank you once again for these four Old Testament prophecies that Jesus Christ was able to fulfill in just a short amount of time. And we know that there were over 300 prophecies showing and, and pointing to the Christ that was to be born in Bethlehem. And we know that those prophecies came true. And we know that twice as many, almost a thousand other prophecies point to your second return. So it helps us and it and it it helps us to see how the this all came through and, and the response of every person that heard the news during that first advent. 
because we know the second advent is about to take place. So we're preparing and we're ready, Lord, to hear even what your word has said and how it applies to our life in everyday life. So help us to take these words, Lord, and see the response of the individuals involved in the story and how that response reflects the response of many people in our life today. I pray, Lord, that we can respond just like the wise men, just like Joseph and Mary. I pray that we can respond in worship. And thank you, God, once again. Lead us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. All right. Now, now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Bethlehem has been known, long known has been long known as the city of David. David, uh, the king, was born there. That's where he shepherded. He shepherded the sheep out in that area. It's kind of in the same area where the shepherds were actually keeping watch over the flock at night as well. And so Bethlehem, house of bread is what it means, uh, is, is the one place where the Old Testament writers, it said, that's where the king is coming from. From Bethlehem, it says in Numbers 24, if you look at this in your outlines, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. And so from the very beginning, the wise men were looking toward the west. They were in the east, and they were coming from the east, and they were looking at a place where the, the, the star was to be. Now, these wise men... Uh, we have to kind of figure out, okay, where did they come from? Where, where, where were they at? How were they able to even ascertain what was happening at that time? Number one, these wise men were committed to find the king. Number one in your outlines, they were committed to find the king. Now, some 350 years prior to the birth of Christ, 400 years or so, Jerusalem was taken captive. And when Jerusalem was taken captive, all the wise people, the smart people, the strong people were taken and taken over to Babylonia. King Nebuchadnezzar was the one that captured all these cities. And he was just going throughout all the land and, and, and taking over, taking control. He wasn't necessarily taking control to kill the people. He just wanted control over everything. And he gave them back their land. He says, okay, you can live here, but you can also live with me. If you live with me, you can have your religion. You can do whatever you want as long as you're under my control. But the people that he took with him, the smart ones, the intelligent ones, those that were magicians or mathematicians or astrologers or whatever, he took them with him. And a lot of them were from different tribes and different places. A lot of them were Jewish and some were from different parts of the world. But everybody had their own little melting pot in a sense. It was more like a stew instead of a, a pot. They didn't all melt to, or meld together. The Jews were one, uh, like the meat, and then the potatoes were the uh, Persians, and the uh, you know all these different nationalities were living under King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, um, what he did is he raised up the smartest one. And, and I don't know if you heard the story in, in the book of Daniel, where uh, there were there were three men that were very wise, very smart, and people really looked up to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow down to the king, and that was part of the, you, you can live here, you can live here free, but you got to bow down to the king. And they said, we will never bow down to anybody but God. And in the story in, in uh, Daniel, these three would not bow down to the king. So what the king did is he made this fire, and he says, I'm going to toss you guys into this pot and burn you guys, if you guys don't worship me. 
And so in the whole process of it, they says, look, we know that God's going to save us. I got my phone with me. I can't believe I have that. <laughs> Let me turn this off. And they said, we know that you, you, uh, we know that God will save us. And then he says, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't save us, even if he does not take us out of here, we will not bow down to you. It was awesome, you know, and, and it's kind of a, a, a story that, that took place and, and it was a true story, but it's also a reflection of who we should be. Even if this government threatens me with all that they have, I will not bow down to this government because my God will save me. But even if he doesn't, they said, we're still not going to bow down. And so here's what happened. Of course, uh, you know, they didn't bow down. So Nebuchadnezzar built this fire and threw them in there and they didn't burn. And they're sitting there thinking, you know, my God, they're not burning. They're not burning. What's going on? Make the fire hotter. The fire got hotter and people died because they were trying to make the fire hotter. And as the king looked in, he saw and he looked, this is, wait a minute. There's, didn't we throw three guys in there? I see four. Some people think that this is the, uh, an epiphany, excuse me. Uh, uh, it, it's Jesus Christ inside of the fire and, and with them, protecting them. And finally they, they brought him out and this is, okay, wait a minute. You know, how'd that happen? And they, they says, I told you. God was going to save us. But even if he didn't, we're going to continue to worship God anyways. That should be our attitude at all times. And with Daniel, with these men, the king went up to them and smelled them. and says, you guys don't even smell like smoke. And they came out of there without a hair singed on their body. And of course, they became some of the satraps, some of the wise people in that area. And in, in uh, Babylonia, they, the, the king was known for bringing in the smartest people of the world, just all these mathematicians, these chemists, these pharmacists, everything. They had all the smartest people, and they all worked together. And some of the magi that were there, they called them magi because that's the, the term that they used where we get our word magic or magician. Some of the magi were some of the most popular people. These guys knew everything. And they knew all the secrets of, of, the, of the underworld and everything else. And most of the Magi were what they called monotheistic, meaning they worshiped mono, one, theos, God. And they didn't worship the true God, but they only worshiped the God, one God. And when the Jewish people came into play, they said, we only worship one God too. So they were kind of attracted to that. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know that you guys worship this. When Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, these Magi's would interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, except for one. He woke up and he was scared. He says, you know, I have this dream and I can't, I can't get it. Uh, I can't even get it ascertained from what it means. So he called all his magi together. And, uh, and what they did is they were trying to and trying to, and they couldn't understand what the dream was. And he had them all killed. You know what? I'm going to kill all you guys unless you guys interpret my dream. Somebody says, hey, you know what? There's a guy in prison that you threw in there because you didn't like what he did. And his name is Daniel. Bring him out. Daniel came out and the king says, okay, I want you to interpret my dream. Now, it would have been nice and good if the king would have said, this is my dream. But all he said is, I want you to interpret my dream. Tell me what I dreamt and then tell me what it meant. Daniel gets up and says, all right, well, let me ask God. And he asks God and says, okay, oh, king, here's what you dreamt. You dreamt this huge tower, this huge, uh, uh, not a tower, but a, a statue. And the statue had four elements. The top was made of gold. The bottom was made of, of silver. The middle was made of silver. The, the bottom middle was made of bronze. And the feet were made of, of uh, iron. And uh, the legs were made of iron. And the feet were a mixture of iron and clay. Here's what it means. And he told them, these are the kingdoms. 
These are the kingdoms that you yourself have conquered. Yet there's one more kingdom that's to come. And that kingdom is to come. Nobody will be able to conquer it. The, the stone that you saw fly out of the sky is going to try to conquer this, this, this kingdom. But when that stone falls out of the sky, it would kill everything else. And that's going to be the lasting reign of all eternity. This is 400 years before Jesus Christ is even born. And this story and this statue is still known today by many theologians that this, these are the reigning kingdoms that have existed in all eternity from the very beginning of, the, of a keeping history, which the toes, the ten toes, represent right now the Roman Empire, which are still scattered throughout the world. One day, the rock, Jesus Christ, is going to come down and he's going to obliviate everything. It was a prophecy that was told back then, not only for the immediate time, but also for ourselves. When the king heard this, that's exactly what I dreamt. And I didn't know what that meant. He elevated Daniel to a status of the, the, the highest of all satraps, the, the wise men, the rulers. And it was at that time, most people believe, that he began to preach and teach what God was showing him through the book of uh, the Old Testament and showing them what they needed to learn somehow. And again, this is all conjecture. We really don't know, but it, it makes sense as to how it all falls together. These wise men were being taught by Daniel and Daniel was sharing with them the end times and how things are going to unfold. But before the end time came, there needed to be a king born in Israel. As we read out of the book of Numbers, uh, we said, I see him now. But now I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. So here we go. Here's what was already seen by a lot of the prophets. And they believed that the king was going to be born in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, when Herod finds out that these wise men came, they were committed to finding this king of the Jews. It's interesting, they came to the main city, Jerusalem. They came, they saw this hustle and bustle, all kinds of things going, okay, somebody must know something. And they're asking everybody, where is that one that was born the king of the Jews? Where is he? I don't know. What are you talking about? There's no king. There's only one king here. And his name is Herod. And he's not a very good king. But we've come to worship it. And in the wording that it was placed here, where is he that is born king of the Jews? In the, in the Greek uh, verbiage, it is a continuous asking of people. Then finally somebody said, you know what? You need to go talk to the people over in Herod's temple. And so they went, for we have seen his star. They said, we came and behold, these men knew. Now, it is believed that by this time, Jesus Christ is already born. Jesus Christ is already uh been born and and possibly could have been one year maybe two years old because when if it was if it happened the way the manger story shows it during the nativity you'll see that it's mary it's joseph it's the baby it's a a, a donkey a cow and a, a lamb right a shepherd and you'll see three wise men you always see the three wise men at the nativity scene as if they showed up right when jesus christ was born and it, 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 did, it could not have really happened that way because, number one, if by chance that's the way it happened, then they received the gifts of gold, which is very popular, 
uh, very expensive. They, they receive the frankincense. I'll go over this with you here in just a little bit. And they receive the myrrh, very important uh, incense and perfume. Something that poor people, peasants like Joseph and Mary could not afford. When they went into the temple to present Jesus Christ uh, and, and present him before God, eight days later, if the gifts that they had received were in their possession, they would not offered two turtle doves. Two turtle doves is the offering that you would give because, well, first of all, you don't have enough money and you have to give something. And you can't afford a lamb, that's okay, bring two turtle doves. Those are only sold for a penny. A lamb is sold for a whole lot more. They would have brought a lamb if they'd have had the money. Now you have to think about this just a little bit, something that most people don't think about. But, but it makes, it makes sense and it's important to understand this because by the time the wise men got there, Jesus had already been born. Herod didn't know anything about this king that was to be born. And he didn't know, the people had no clue. When, when the Christmas story first happened, the way most people responded was with, so? It was an apathy. Yeah, and? You know, I mean, it's Christmas. Okay, great. Give me some gifts. Where's the food? Give me some beer. Let's party. You know, eh, <laughs> but it's about Jesus. Okay, yeah, it's about Jesus, but okay. There's an apathy. There's this nonchalantness. There's this, I don't care. You know, I, I want to fill my the bottom of my tree with presents. I want to enjoy life. And, and please don't get me wrong. We had a wonderful time for our Christmas with our friends and family. But but what we want to do is, is to focus on the true meaning of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ. There can't be an apathetic attitude about who Christ is and why he came. It's because he came to die on a cross. That's why he came. But for the wise men, they committed at least whatever long it took them to follow this star. This star that was in the west, they were coming from the east. They saw it. And, and many people, we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us what that star was. Okay? Some people kind of figured, well, you know, right around that time, uh, Saturn and Venus kind of lined up. And, 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 uh, and, and Jupiter. And so in Jupiter has always been known as the star of the kings. So when the star had, uh, had risen, that star has risen and it's, it was known as a star. They didn't know it was a planet. When that star rises and it converges with all the other planets, it gets really bright. And so therefore a king is to be born. So they saw that more than likely. It's probably what it was. But I don't know if you've ever traveled on the road and you're going down the freeway and the moon is just nice and full. And it seems like wherever you go, it's kind of like following you, right? I mean, you can be going this way and it, man, it followed me all the way from Victorville all the way to the house. And it's following me. No, it's not following you. <laughs> it's just an optical illusion. But you have to understand that, okay, so how did this star guide them? Well, maybe it could have been that conversion of stars or planets that showed them that this is the place. This is what Daniel talked about. This is what he shared with us, that out of the east, out of the west is going to come out this star. Maybe that's what he's talking about. And so they followed it. They knew. So they sensed. They were committed. They were ready to go find and worship. They were committed to worship. You know, and it's, it's amazing and how many people, you know, it's too early. It's too late. It's too dark. It's too cold. It's too wet to go to worship. It's too, you know, it's too far. It's too whatever, you know, to go to church. You know, I mean, when we are out of town, we generally try to find a place to worship. This is one of the things I appreciate about my brother Mario this morning. He shows up, he's attending another church somewhere, you know, he's in the area. And he says, I thought I was in the area, I'd come to worship with you guys. Amen? 
find a place to worship. Come and be a part of that service. My commitment, your commitment to Christ has needs to be as the wise men. Do whatever it takes to get there. Do whatever it takes. Because is that, as it says in Jeremiah 29, 13, look at this with me in your outlines. You will seek me and find me when what? When you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I was kind of going through this message this last week, and I'm thinking, okay, so God set this up 400 years ago. He taught through Daniel all these wise men, and all these wise men had learned the story and understood that there was going to be a king that was going to be born, that this kingdom was going to rise. It's the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, and the clay, and all these, you know, God's already sovereignly put everything into place. Okay, And so when the time was right, as Galatians tells us, that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born into this, onto this planet when the time was right, when God sovereignly put everything together. And he says, okay, it's time. These wise men, we don't know how many they were. We always have three. As a matter of fact, it wasn't probably around the four, 600 AD after, after Christ was born that they've identified these three as uh, Belshazzar, Melchor, and some other guy. I forget what his name was. Some of you probably know them. They call them los Tres Reyes. You've heard of this, the Tres Reyes. And uh, there's a tradition in a lot of Hispanic cultures that uh, they hide the baby on the, the day of the, the day that, that these kings were supposed to have come to Jesus Christ. It's December the 6th. Dia de los Reyes. Anybody know? December 6th? It's, it's, okay. Uh, now, I'm, January the 6th. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. I'm picking on you Mexicans. You guys should know this. Uh, <laughs> you don't feel good. Praise God. <laughs> Dia de los Reyes. They build this wreath, this bread wreath, and they put a little baby inside of it, you know, and they cut it up into pieces. And, and then whoever gets the baby uh, is responsible for something. I forget what it is. Oh, they're supposed to bring the dinner, huh? Okay, yeah, that's what it is. So, so there, there's all these traditions around these three kings. And, well, first of all, we don't know that there were three kings. We know that there were three gifts. But three guys, uh, we don't even know if they actually came on camels. You know, we know that if it was one king or one wise man, he didn't come by himself. He had his potions. He had his uh, all the things that he needed. He had servants. And when there's, when there's gifts like this, they, they, and they were kings, they might have been maybe six. Maybe 10. There were a group of committed men and their servants that were willing to go the distance to worship. That's it. This baby, this child that was born could not give them anything, but they were willing to give their life to worship. You see the Christmas story? How will you respond to Christmas? I pray that you would just do. Maybe you don't have everything that these kings have had. Maybe you don't have gold and frankincense and myrrh. But you know what? I want you to know something. Those of you that live here in the United States, which I'm kind of guessing it's 100% here, okay? All you guys live here. Those of you that live here in the United States, you are far better off than two-thirds of the world. You know, some people, our garbage disposals eat more than most people in the world. Think about that. 
We throw away more food. And, and, and yet, we are so poor and destitute and apathetic about the spiritual things. People in the world would love to have your problems. Oh, this traffic. Ah, oh, you, know, you know, they would love to have, try. You guys got people? There's people around you. Got, we ain't got nobody. You know, my house is leaking. You got a house? Yeah, but it leaks. You know, it's getting all over my, you got a bed that sits off the floor? You mean, you mean the, the scorpions and the snakes don't get up, get up on, on you guys when you guys are sleeping out in the, no. You know, but, but I have to share it with my brother. You have a brother? Jeez, I wish I had a brother. I wish I had a brother. Most of the world would love to have your problems. And you may not have a lot to give, but you can give your heart. This is not a message on giving tithes and offerings. I don't preach on that. You give as the Lord leads you to give. But I am preaching on you need to give your life. Because that's the reason for Christmas. Christmas came because of the crown. The crown of thorns. The cross. These men were committed to find this Jesus. They came and they carefully followed Jesus Christ. The, the thing about the gold, the gold is a very precious metal. The frankincense was for his humanity, his deity. Was mainly, uh, frankincense is like a, uh, an incense that most kings and high people would use in order to be able to, to recognize this is a place of royalty. And myrrh was for his humanity. It's for his, his deity, his humanity, and, and for, for his uh, for who he was. And, and these three, these three elements represent what we can give Jesus Christ. Maybe it might not be gold. It might be something of a, of a fragrant offering. You know, the Bible talks about our songs are like an offering to God. In some churches, they believe that coming to church is a sacrifice. That's my sacrifice to God. This is why some people go to church every day to give a sacrifice to God. I sacrificed already. I did it. You know, and maybe some of you guys are thinking, yeah, this is, feels like a sacrifice. It's kind of long and boring. You know, I mean, this, yeah, I can see why they would think that. No, sitting in the pews is not a ministry. Sitting in your benches is not part of your sacrifice. We are being taught. We are being, we are learning what the word of God says. And for these men, how many ever they were, how far they traveled, for how long, and most people believe that Jesus might have been at least one year, right under two years old, and I'll explain to you here in just a little bit why. But by the time they got there, everybody was apathetic, didn't care. Yeah, so what? Oh, really? A Jew? A king? I don't know. You know, I'm sure we would have heard about that. They'd have put it on Yahoo News or something. We would have heard in the Jerusalem front page, but nothing. Nothing. Number two, the people cowered in fear. The people cowered in fear. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. Explained to you a little bit about Bethlehem. But Herod heard this news. And I shared with you a little bit about what Herod did, who he was. Herod was a very, well, first of all, he was a very gracious king. And when we talk about Herod, it can get a little bit confusing, you know, because unless you follow the, the genealogies of the Herods, they're, they're like, you know, the name Paul. People named their son Paul. And there was Herod the Great, which was 
uh, the ruler at this time of the Christmas story. There's Herod, Herod Archelius. Uh, he was the, the, Herod, the son of Herod the Great. Uh, he's one of the three sons mentioned in the Bible. Uh, he received one half of his father's territory. And then there's Herod Antipas, Herod Philip, the Tatriarch, Herod Agrippa, Herod Agrippa II. Agrippa is the one that ruled during the time of Paul. And so you have all these different Herods. And the Bible doesn't go as far as to identify each Herod. So just so you know that this Herod and the Herod of Jesus' time and the Herod of Paul's time are different Herods. This Herod is the first one, and he was Herod the Great. And he was half Jew, so he kind of like, okay, I'm kind of part of like you guys. But they didn't like him because of the half that he was. The other half was not a very good half. But what he did in order to try to appease the Jews is he built the temple. He rebuilt it. It got destroyed. Hey, well, rebuilt it. And he, he gave them their taxes back when things were bad. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, times are tough. And the king gets up and says, you know what? Here's all your taxes that you guys paid this last year. You know, get, get, get some food, get, get healthy. So they kind of liked him. Yet Herod was a very wicked king within himself. He was jealous, didn't want anybody else assuming his role as king. He was so jealous and so thinking that that his uh, that one of his family members were going to take his place. He had his brother-in-law killed, and then because it was his brother-in-law that was killed, he says, "You know what? I'm going to took care of his wife as well." He says, I don't know what you guys are planning, but but you know, and they weren't planning anything, or so we think. His rage and his jealousy and his anger against and his his uh, the way that he was very. Uh, you know, he just didn't have a lot of influence or courage upon himself, I guess you would say. He was, he was so self-doubting that he thought his son was going to take his kingdom. Had him killed. Had his second son killed. Had his third son killed. Had Christians killed. Had people, anybody that got in his way, he would just massacre them. Right before he died, a few days before he died, he says, you know what? People aren't going to mourn for me when I die. So go out and collect all the prominent people of Jerusalem. And then on the day that I die, I want you to kill all of them. So this way, at least they'll be mourning. People will be crying. Yeah, and I might get a little bit of that too. This is how wicked this king was. So when the Bible tells us, and I said this last week, and I got to correct myself. I said that Herod sent out to have all the children from five-year-olds down to kill him, to kill all the babies, all the baby boys. It's from two-year-olds down. And from two-year-old down, when the Magi didn't come back to tell them where this Christ was born, because he says, I want to worship him too. No, he wanted to execute him. There ain't going to be another king here. If you guys were committed enough to come from way out there to come here to worship this child, this must be something true. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they gave them, they gave him a prophecy. Well, you know, Micah says that in you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will be, who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, if he's going to shepherd the people of Israel, it makes sense for him to come out of Bethlehem because Bethlehem was the city where all the sheep were kept to take to Jerusalem to have them slaughtered every year during uh, the Passover. And so it, it, it all connected, and Herod said, well, that's where he was born. Go, uh, and you'll find him there. That's where you'll find the Christ. But when you find him, bring him back to me. Now, here's something very interesting. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. They were troubled because they knew, uh uh-oh, something's about to come down. Something's about to come down. They're going to cut our, our food supply. They're going to cut our energy supply. They're going to cut, they're going to cut everything. You know what? Uh, whatever you say, Harry, whatever you say, we will do. Whatever you say. You want us to wear a mask? We'll wear a mask. Okay. Maybe it doesn't go that far. You want, whatever you want us to do, we, we want to obey the land of the law. If it means we cannot meet, then we will not meet. If it means that we have to, you know, cower in fear and, and raise you, you're, you're the God. You're the king. We'll vote for you every year. The whole world was troubled. All of Jerusalem. They were troubled because they knew this king. They knew what he was about to do. They knew what he could do. They knew what he has done. And so here it was at this point in time that he's saying, you know what? They're looking for this king. Something's about to come down. And when he comes down, he gets really mad and takes it out on all of us. He's like dad with the big stick, you know, comes home drunk, beats up everybody up. And he assembled the chief priests and he found out where it was all this was going to happen. You see, there's a lot of things that are going on right now. And, and I'm being, I've been wanting to teach on the book of Revelation now for some time. And, and I, I don't know why it seems to be important. I've already taught on it a few times and, and I figured, okay, well, that's enough. But somehow the Lord's leading me to teach, to share that with you again. And I'm going to. It was just trying to find a time to be able to do that. Wednesday nights, we have our Bible studies. And so Sunday nights make sense. But, but the problem, the point is this, is that there are a lot of things that are coming up. And I've been sharing some of the things that come up, that are coming up in our culture. And and I keep saying, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not live uh, in fear. Do not be troubled along with the president, with the the vice president, the governors. Do not be afraid of all these things that are going on, the Herods in your life. Do not be, don't live in coward fear because that's exactly what was happening during this time. 2 Timothy 1.7, read this with me. Read it aloud with me. You have it in your outlines. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You want a verse to memorize? There is a verse to memorize. Memorize that one. Put it on a rock. Very good. Thank you so much for our rocks, by the way. Praise God for that. Number three, the leaders compromise their beliefs. The leaders compromised their beliefs. For it is written, they say, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. They knew. They knew what was happening. Here are the people. Here are the Pharisees. Here are the uh, priests, the chief priests. There's, There were over 2,000 priests that would serve in the temple. Out of these 2,000 priests, there would be one called the high priest. The high priest was the one that kind of oversaw everything. And out of the high priest, there were these chief priests that were kind of like under him. 
And they would kind of, you know, help facilitate the things around the temple, the, the slaughtering of the lambs and, you know, the ministering of the temple and the people. They're the ones that actually got rich. They're the ones that really got a lot of stuff. And then there were the scribes. The scribes were the ones that would take the word of God and they would read it and they would, you know, decipher it for the people. And what they would do is they would take what was written from long ago and they would scribe it on another piece of paper so that other people can have a copy of what they would call the Old Testament. Now, during the time of the intertestamental period, a lot of people started to learn Latin. So what they did is they took the Old Testament and they translated it into Latin, and it was called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is 70, 70 meaning that, and the tradition has it that it was 70 scribes that took the Old Testament and they translated it into 70 different scrolls. And these 70 scribes took them 70 days and they were, again, tradition, locked into 70 different rooms. And when they came out of this room, all these, all these uh, documents, they were exactly alike. Now, these scribes knew the law. The chief priests knew the law. The high priest knew the law. They knew that this Christ was to be born, yet they compromised their beliefs. The reason why people compromise their beliefs is because they can get something out of it. They were in tight with Herod. This is why at the end, when Jesus Christ, if you see here in Luke 22, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. They were in tight. All they had to do was say, hey, we want this guy crucified. What did he do? Come on. And even at that time, Herod was not willing. Pilate was not willing. He says, you know, he didn't do anything. Well, he did, you know, they just made up stories. Well, I have him flogged. No, no, no. We want him crucified. Well, look, there's Christ that hasn't done anything. Or Barabbas. Come on. He's the worst of the bunch. He came out of San Bernardino. Come on. You know, this guy is no good. <laughs> we want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Really? These rulers compromised their beliefs. The king, the king of the Jews, the king of all creation, God himself entered this planet and they did not even recognize him. How would you respond to Christmas? Are you going to commit to finding this king? When you seek him, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart, are you going to cower? Are you going to cower because of the political system, all the things that are going on? Are you going to compromise your beliefs when it comes down to it because it benefits you? Are you going to compromise everything that you've, you've bought into because, you know what, this is what I should do. Number four in the back of your outlines, Herod calculated his hatred. And some of you are probably thinking, well, you know, I mean, I believe it, but I don't really believe it that much. And it might be good, and, and I don't know if I really want to follow it to that extreme, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ was born on December 25th. At least that's what it says on his birth certificate, right? Has anybody been able to find his birth certificate? I don't need it. I know he was born on December 25th. That's all I need to know. And we talked about that already. He wasn't born on December 25th, right? Okay, good. You know, and yet there are people that say, you know, and I believe that he died on the cross and I believe that he resurrected, you know, but come on, man. You know, when it's convenient, I will... Go, I will attend, I will be part of. Herod, this is what it says in verses 7 and 8, summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come 
and worship you. Oh, yeah. You know, I, oh, you, oh definitely. I want to be there too. You, you guys find him? I'll bring some gold. I'll bring some frankincense. I'll bring some myrrh. You know, I'll bring a, a sword made of, oh, no, I mean, forget about the sword. Uh, I, I will, you know, and, and sure enough, it's exactly what he wanted. In verse 16, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Not only in Bethlehem, but in that region. Just in case he got away there. You know, we'll just get rid of them all. And he calculated his hatred for Jesus Christ. And I say calculated because that calculation that had been ticking off in the very beginning from Herod to the chief priests, they were troubled. And they could care less if it was a king or the Jews. And then it was calculated all the way to the end in God's sovereign plan. God uses hatred for His glory. And sometimes it's against those that are the most innocent. Now, I'm not saying that God is, is hate or that God causes these things to happen to you. All I'm saying is that He uses those things to happen. They're going to happen. You see, in, in, um, in verses... What does it say then? In verse 18, 17... After, after Herod went and had this all done, in verse 17 it says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This was prophesied by Jeremiah. It was going to happen. And Herod was going to have his way. He was going to have his way, whether it was the king of the Jews or whatever. He had people killed just because. And these innocent children had no say-so. They, they were at no fault of their own. The only fault that they had is that they were born. You know, and you think about the, the massive amount of children that could have been born in the United States today that are being slaughtered, murdered. Out of convenience. They're cowards. They're compromising their beliefs. They're calculating their hatred. And, and, and it just, at no fault of their own. And when you think about the evil that's happening, it, it's not that God allows evil. It's not that God makes evil to happen. God is everywhere. And God says, these are some of the things that are going to take place. I know this because I know the hearts of men. And men's hearts are wicked. And there is no cure. The Bible says, Jeremiah, Jeremiah is also the one that says, you know, uh, when people say, you know, I, I know my heart. I know what my heart says. You know, you don't know my heart. You know, I just follow my heart. Well, you know, you're right. Your heart is wicked is what the Bible says. And it's beyond cure. Herod calculated his hatred. Number five, his parents carefully followed God. His parents carefully followed God. In verse 13, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And then verses 22 and 23, And when he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Another prophecy. 
that was calculated. And his parents carefully followed God. Okay, Lord, I see your word. I hear your word. I read your word. I understand your word. I got to follow everything that you say. And even then, the child was still not safe. And even then, he lived his life. And even then, at the age of 33, he was still murdered. And they calculated and they carefully followed God in all things. The last thing we must do is number six. I must be, I must concentrate on the right worship. I must concentrate on right worship. There's a lot of things that are going on out there right now that are considered to be worship. A lot of things. Worship is giving your God's worth, the worth that you see on God, in God, in Jesus Christ, and giving it to Him because He's worth that worship. And it, it all depends and it, and it centers on your attitude toward God, how you see Him in your life. If you see God as a distant father because your dad wasn't there, and most people apply that kind of logic to their life. Well, my dad wasn't there, so God isn't there. He's a dist- You're not going to come to him. If you saw him as an abusive father, then you're going to flee from him. And that worship, and then when the worship you do is going to be from the outside. It's going to be external. It's not going to be internal. It's not going to be intense. It's not going to be intimate. It's not going to be intentional. Right worship, as we talked about last week, are those four things. Right worship. I need to concentrate on right worship. These men, these wise men that came, the star all of a sudden was gone. For some reason, they just couldn't see it anymore. They came to Jerusalem. They asked, well, where's this child at? And they went all the way to Herod. Now, I, I'm not too sure if I said this, but I've been kind of contemplating this all week. Why did they go to Herod? How come God just didn't take them straight to the manger or straight to the house? Why was Herod even involved? Part of God's sovereignty, part of God's plan. And so when they told the wise men that he was to be born in Bethlehem, lo and behold, it says here, and when they saw, they saw the star, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house. They were in a house at this time, no longer in a manger. They saw the child with Mary and his mother. So what is this star? I, I believe, like some people believe, that it was the Shekinah glory of God. God just showed up. And it's like this Shekinah glory that God's uh, presence was over the temple in the Old Testament. It's the Shekinah glory that led the Israelites out of uh, Egypt in the darkness. It's the Shekinah glory that showed up at the time of Jesus Christ when He transfigured. It's the Shekinah glory of Jesus Himself after He resurrected and the glory of God just shone all about Him and He was so bright that they couldn't see. It was this Shekinah glory of God that resurrected, left up, and went over and stood over the house. And I can just imagine people looking, what is that? The wise men knew. They knew exactly what they were looking for. They knew, and when they followed this star, this light, and they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. I need to concentrate on right worship. I need to, and I've said this already, give him all that I have. Got to give him my life, give him my, my service, my everything that I can do. Opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts and gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country. You see, in, in Isaiah chapter 60, it says, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. It was already known. 
that he was to be born. And so Mary, she reflected right worship. It was internal. My soul magnifies the Lord. It was intense. My spirit rejoices. It was, it was intimate. In, in, in God, my Savior, it was intentional. That's the type of worship, internal, not external. Many people can come and raise their hands and praise God. But what are you doing internally? How will you respond to Christmas this year? I pray that your commitment, number one, is to find the King, Jesus Christ. You know you have found Him. You know that you have come face to face with Him. When you recognize that you stand before a holy God. And you recognize that there is something that I must do. I got to do something. Because I know that I cannot stand in front of this guy. He's, he's going he's gonna to knock me out. Because I know I'm a sinner. I have sinned. And, and, and I'm standing before a holy God. You come to find Him when you recognize that you are a sinner. And that you need a Savior. And these wise men, they fell to their knees. They, the word is prostrated. They fell face first to this child. And this is very important. I want you to know this. It was to Jesus, not to Mary. It was to Jesus that they gave the gifts, not to Mary, not even to Joseph. And their worship was focused on Jesus. And it was to Jesus that they came and they committed to find when you know that you have come and face to face in contact with, with Jesus Christ, when your heart is hurting because you know you've offended him. And you know that there's something that has to be done. And you know that there is nothing in your life that you can do to offer God anything. And that's why you recognize that, you know, you're, you're, you cannot cower in fear. You cannot run from that. You cannot compromise your beliefs. And you cannot compromise what it is that God has showed you. You got to stand there before God, naked and transparent and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need saving. And you recognize that and you confess Jesus Christ is Lord with your mouth. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says that you'll be saved. And that transformation, the evidence of that is the fruit that you will be showing in your everyday walk and in your everyday life. You come to Jesus Christ and you worship him rightly. Let me ask you to stand.